and here we go. All right, gentlemen, welcome once again to the SimCast episode 15, Allegiance. I'm joined again today by Mr. Revel Strike, who's uh, in here incognito, apparently. And we got Daedalus, your Ashen Herald. Howdy. Howdy, howdy, gentlemen. We are going to continue our discussion again from last week. Uh, before we get into the Allegiance portion, we're going to talk a little bit about where we finished last time discussing the races, the playable races. Now, we had talked about all of them, including the Tolnar briefly. Um, and actually, I had uh, Mira on uh, leaving com comments from last week, and they were uh, basically... We were talking about how long the period of time had been. Um, and I'm actually kind of drawing a blank right now. And so this is where I'm actually welcoming some of the Ashes community to help with some clarification. So I was seeing a couple different statements on how long the period of time was from when the exodus from Vera to Sanctus happened and we came back. And I was actually looking around and I saw, I think, uh, I think one quote was from Jeffrey. Then there was another statement from Steven. And so I'm actually seeing what looks like could be, it's just thousands and thousands of years to potentially more than that. So I'm not sure if it's even 2000, 10,000 years. It could be a very large window. It could be much larger window than I think I'd previously said. So I'm welcoming anybody in the community that actually can maybe find some information. I looked and scoured the wiki, and I'll tell you guys, I couldn't find a definitive account for how long that period of time was. So I'm actually curious about that. Did you have anything, Daedalus? Have you by chance know? I mean, I, I remember some of the same statements that it was thousands of years, um, but nothing definitive. And it's probably another um, area where Stephen's like, I'm not really going to tell you. All right. Because <laughs> um, he wants us to kind of discover that on our own. Maybe, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. That seems kind of basic to know, but um, right. you never know with these guys. Right. Could It could somehow tie into some bigger grand scheme that we're not like aware of or something. Exactly. Which which I'm going, okay, that's that's cool, man, but damn it. Brother wants to know a few things here. Come on. All right, so where we talked uh, last week, we ended um, discussing uh, the starting zones for the playable races, and uh, so Tolnar is going to be the one race that doesn't have, doesn't start the Divine Gateway. And so once we start to venture into Vera from our gateways that we're leaving, assuming... You're not the Tolnar, right? Um, you begin your quests. And we've talked about questing before in the game. Um, but specifically, there will be racial quests. And I'm going to go ahead and touch on this. Uh, both of these statements do come from Steven. Uh, so quests may be based on a character's race. Different quests may relate to who the primary cultural contributor is to a node, which I found interesting. Uh, this won't lock out content, but will add flavor to the quests. So I'm thinking that might be something in the way of dialogue or um, maybe ways that you go about exploring the path for point A to be in a quest, perhaps. He um, said there might be different directories of the quests that exist for specific races. And even though you're sharing a quest to kill a, a boss, if you're a human and I'm an elf, I'll have a different arc potentially that leads in a different direction than you. 
even though we we took the same quest and this can relate to who the primary cultural contributor is to a node unlocking different arcs from cultures that share the primary culture of a node not that locks out content but gives a flavor in a different direction so that not everything is so cookie cutter and my my thoughts on that are um some of the ways that stories were played out that i'd seen in guild wars 2 um star wars the old republic and in here in elder scrolls online which is another mmo i've played where a perfect example is here in the somerset expansion that recently had released in somerset you go to the island of the elves and of course this is a place that's been locked you know people have been locked from for a long time and uh you know, one thing I noticed is I'm a high elf on my main currently. And when you go there, the dialogue um, is definitely different because uh, the way that the elves talk to you is clearly different than if you're an outsider. Um, they even go as far as to say, you understand our stance because you're an elf sort of thing. Um, so I'm thinking it might be something similar to that. Although I don't believe that the way that the stories are told are going to be similar. You're not going to have an NPC character doing voice dialogue. I believe that from what I understand, uh, that's going to be just text dialogue. At least that's the plan so far. Unless you guys know differently. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah, I believe that's correct as well. Yeah. So, Ray, uh, Stephen further says, uh, races matter or race matters because narrative have paths that also are influenced based on the primary contributing culture to the node. If you're a Nikwa and you are you're you have you're in a Nikwa node that's predominantly Nikwa, you're going to have certain services and or abilities as a member of the Nikwa race that other races may not have access to, like we talked about racial skills and stuff or abilities. They may have an alternate quest line, but they won't have specific ones. Now those specific Nikwa quests will then relate to the meta-narrative that's present in the world, and they'll start to direct some of the meta-narrative. And that'll be beneficial for your kind for your kind, because it will unlock certain content for your race, and other races haven't unlocked yet. So there is an incentive there to see progression along that line now in order to curb the progress of a dominant race. So they're talking about how racial quests can, it sounds to me, counter uh, the, the meta-arc, so to speak. Um, in in a way that if you have someone who's a leader of a node or maybe the um, the higher percentage of you know race A is what's contributing the most to a node, so you see more of race A's influence, whether it be via like we talked about uh, architecture in uh, cities, towns, metropolises, etc. I'm wondering how the racial quests um, might play into countering some of that. So I guess what I'm really gonna kind of poke at here and pick your brains on is uh what are some ways you you guys feel like um racial quests could make that change or potential change to the the higher majority uh contribution to the node different or unique or you know in some way uh special well, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast or um, it came up in some discussion, but I think, you know, how race, racial items can impact. I mean, I think it's probably in the actual like look and feel of the node, maybe in certain areas, depending on the stage of the node. As far as quests, yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of a quote unquote personal quest. 
where, you know, you can maybe perhaps branch off into different things, be able to do um, different activities, but maybe ultimately still get to a reward that may be most useful for your race, right? And add mm -hmm. and be relevant for your race. Because I think the one thing that I think maybe more is a general thing that I hope happens in Ashes of Creation is they make the rewards that you get relevant. Um, one of the things that I see, um, you know, as an issue in World of Warcraft, not so much now, but earlier on that mm -hmm. there, I think they're trying to come back to is make whatever you, you know, award you're going to get um, something that is, you know, relevant for you, right? Whether that's a piece of equipment, whether that's an augment, um, you know, the, a racial augment, just make it something that's really useful and it's worth your time investment. Mm -hmm. And I like it as a way being kind of a lore hound myself as a way to reveal your racial identity and kind of what the place is for your race um, in the lore. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, for me, that's something stuck in my throat. Um, as far as like how classes are going to contribute to the node and the the, the class class quests and stuff like that, um, I think it's going. I, I I hope it doesn't have a huge dramatic effect. Um, personally, I it doesn't affect me either way as far as my gameplay or how well I enjoy the game. Um, in that sense, like it just it doesn't affect my mood as a player to know that what I contribute, like even in, even when I quest or when I contribute to a node, it doesn't affect my gameplay. So honestly, it's, it's kind of just one of those things that are awesome, but that's as far as it goes to me. Um, so that's, that's just pretty much it for me at least. So they also talked about uh, racial mounts and they haven't really shared anything in regard to that. Although I am curious if they're going to go the direction that we've seen before with like kind of a, I want to almost want to call it like stereotypical. Um, you know, you get like the Dwarven races who get kind of almost what I always think of as a stout mount. Um, rams or uh, bears or something like that. Um, you know, humans and Kalar and I'll think, all I got to say is if they don't make the Elven race have a freaking Hawk Strider, I'll, I'll call it good. Because that's one uh, that's one class or racial mount we can keep out of this game, that's for sure. But uh, I don't know. There's not too much discussion on that, but that's just another point of information. That's what we're doing right now is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what we're doing right now is trying to navigate through as much of the information as we can prior to Alpha 1 coming to, coming to be, coming to pass. Um, so, so once we step through the gateway and we, we've gone about our business, we started our quest line, we're on the quest, as we've talked about in a previous episode, uh, we've worked our way, we started taking some of these quests up and we've got some racial quests and we get digging more into, um, a node along the way, we're going to have certain alliances or affiliations. We're going to maybe get to a point where we want to uh, pledge our allegiance to a particular group. Now, some groups are going to come into the game already, guilds, and um, we've 
I've had a video in the past where I've had some of Virtue members on for it's guild do's and don'ts. It's a lot of our thoughts. It's basically our pilot episode to the Simcast where I had several of my guildmates on and we all discussed um, just things we wanted to see, didn't want to see in the in in the guild uh, function slash features uh, for Ashes. Um, but we talked about some things briefly, so I don't want to hit on too much of that. I would encourage people to check that out uh, video out. It's definitely going to be linked. Um, over over the video at the end here uh, for those of you on YouTube. Um, now we've got citizenship. So we're going to talk about citizenship because when we talk about pledging our allegiance, uh, to, in my mind, that's citizenship. And uh, citizenship tickets is what they're talking about. And they also grant citizenship to certain node stages. And they said this mechanic will be decided based on testing. And so Jeffrey had said, we want these places to be populated and people to be attracted to them. Um, so this uh, was also talked about player housing a bit, but he said, won't people be attracted to them? So right now we think housing is enough for that, but we don't want to design ourselves into a corner where we don't have other options. So the hope is that yes, citizenship will be only gained through housing with our caveat that if the doesn't work well, we'll change it. Um, I don't really want to go too far, but what are some of your thoughts on citizenship being determined primarily by housing? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on how they implement housing. I mean, what we know so far is you can, you know, if you're lucky enough to get in on the ground floor of a node, you can have in in node housing, you can potentially get a plot as a freehold, or there's also at certain stages of a node, don't remember off the top of my head which one it is, but there will be instanced apartments um, that will be um, available to. Mm -hmm. So I guess it depends on what it would take to get to um, those, I guess those different unlocks, if you will, right? What it, What's the barrier to entry? I think it'll also be determined in how high the cap is at a particular node level on how many citizens you can get because you do um and I, I do see why they would want to at some point cap how many people can be a citizen of a node because that does in a sense balance you know when an encounter potentially can happen to siege a node if you don't really have kind of a cap there you could still ultimately get like a zerg mentality with you know defending a node mm -hmm. Um, versus the opposite, right? It might be more, I guess, from my perspective, it'd be more compelling to have an outside force be stronger and overtake a node. I mean, granted, it probably would be the greatest if I was the victim of that siege, but um, <laughs> but I think it's more compelling to do that than be an attacker and, um, you know, essentially just get stuck because there's no way in the heck you're going to be able to overtake this node because there's just so many people involved. So I do like the idea of having housing being a barrier to entry because it does give some level of balance. It does make a player invest a decent amount of time in order to be able to be a citizen of a node. So it's not something that they can just, okay, you know, I'm going to switch citizenship, you know, left and right because you know something doesn't suit me and it, it makes it kind of cheapens the whole experience and i think the end of the day is the developers want to create communities and you can't really 
create communities without at least having somebody invested, you know, in an activity in order to become a citizen. Mm-hmm. I think it it stops it from being a experience where, you know, people will just end up, you know, like leaving a group in other games, right? It's it's really quick to leave a group if something's not going your way. I think they want to make it a lot tougher to do that when you invest as a citizen because there is some level of risk in losing whatever you've worked for versus the reward of being part of a node um, and gaining the benefits of that node. Mm -hmm. Well, that all sounds great because that's pretty much my thought process on everything. Um, I think you should be able to uh, to be to have citizenship if you you know you you're not just there from the beginning but you pick a spot that you want to um, that you want to defend or you want to uh, just kind of stay around your buddies or if you met new friends the other day let's say you just came into the game and you know uh, you meet these people who, who gave you a hand one time and you go into the, uh, you know, your first town, and those are the people that you ran into the first time, and you're like, hey, I want to plant my roots here. Um, and I can just see that, you know, <clears throat> having to work your way up to that citizenship, I think that's something you should should be able to do. Um, and it should be not just, it, it should be, a, like Daniel said, a time, not, not necessarily a time-consuming experience, but I think it should be um, something that you as a player should have that option to invest into once you find that node that you feel like you, you, you call home basically. So. So one cool thing that they've talked about is that, you know, there's going to be, you can declare per account one citizenship per account per server. So that means that if, for example, you've got, let's say I've got my main, the light bringer is on a citizenship of the uh, military node or whatever, right? Like, all of my characters are part of the military node. It's what we as a player pick. And it looks like right now, uh, the, the time frame that they've talked about your declaration, it, about every two weeks is about how long you're going to be able to change that. So if I don't want to be a citizen of this node anymore, um, I want to you know go to a different one. Um, I've got about a two-week cooldown before I can start that process again. Whatever, <coughs> excuse me, whatever that process may look like. Oh, hello, cat. Cat is bothering me again. Um, so, says a player does not need to declare citizenship of any node. These players won't need to pay taxes, but they will miss out on benefits of a, of citizenship. So, if you are not part of a node, there's a lot of um, advantages that you may not be able to reap the rewards from. So there's always the option that you don't declare citizenship. Um, however, if you do, it's very important that you keep in mind that you're stuck with that. So you can't be like, oh, I've got my main here. I got, you know, a couple alts. So I got one on this node, one on this node. So that, that like crossing over of playing, playing both sides can't really happen, which is at least that's what I'm hoping they're going for. Um, if so, then, then fantastic. No traitors in the midst. At least, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that, Sim, because I was uh, yeah. on a on a discussion round the other day, mm-hmm. BCG hosted, and I had um, brought that up, and I 
believe there was some information out there and I would ask the listeners to see if they can find the reference. I haven't, you know, been able to check it out yet, but you can declare citizenship, I think up on up to three nodes, but that's with alternative characters, I believe. And I, and I wasn't, I mean, somebody mentioned it because I had thought it was essentially it was account wide. Um, but I think it is per character up to three is what I've heard. And mm-hmm. from what I'm hearing from some community members too, it's because Steven really wanted to have that entry kind of spy type of mechanic be a thing in terms of emergent gameplay. Um, cause I, and, and I think he wants to create at some point, right. He wanted, he wants to create community, but he wants that community aspect to, sometimes be at odds with maybe more sinister <laughs> type of activity um, in the sense where you can potentially spy on nodes, spy and you know, understand when caravans are going so that you can have more opportunities for conflict. But again, I would have to mm-hmm. do a little more research to find that reference on the citizenship because I always thought like you that it was just, you know, you declare citizenship and it applies to all your characters. I definitely know housing is kind of, you can have one of each kind across your account. So that in a sense probably limits your citizenship. Um, Hmm. But I'm expecting, uh, you know, that if you have a freehold in one area, you can't have a, you know, you can't have a freehold with another node somewhere else. It's going to be one of each and maybe that's how they balance it out uh but yeah that that's something that i think we definitely should look into further because that like you said can create a certain dynamic Mm -hmm. whether it's one per account or whether it's a little more open-ended i wouldn't say totally open-ended but a little more open-ended see so if if anybody that is that was watching that uh bc cheese podcast Anybody that's got information about that, please, 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 please bring me some kind of citation or something because it's absolutely possible that he said something at one point. Because what I'm reading is your account is bound to one declared citizenship per server, which means that if you have two alts and your main character is on one server, um, you your main character is on one server, you may only be a citizen of one node between those three. If you have an alt on a different server, it could be a citizen of a node as well. So that's per Steven. So I don't know when that... So it looks like that was probably... I'm looking at the citation here. Oh, well, that doesn't help. March-ish? No. Yeah, I would like to... I would definitely like to uh, get more information on that. Yeah, that's all I could find, too. So that's why I was like, hmm, I wonder where that was heard or if that's a rumor or something that maybe was potentially missed in some uh, live stream transcript or what. Right. So what are your thoughts, Robbie? Anything on that? Uh, You said me? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I lost my spot. Okay, here we go. So yeah, my thoughts on it though, as far as like I think that it should I don't I don't really necessarily understand the difference between why it why it why you can only have one citizenship ship per server since every server is going to be different with node the, with the node system and rotation. Um, am I reading that wrong? 
I'm not sure how you're reading it. Are you reading it that there's one per one a lot like one, one one citizenship per de, uh, declared per account is what it's saying per, per account yeah per server okay yeah so all right well then that's that seems fine to me um, my thoughts on it are I really don't have much <laughs> okay today I don't know why I don't but I don't I don't have much today it's all just kind of there. All right, so we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, types of alliances. So there's different progression pathways for alliances. Now we know our citizenship is going to lie directed or it's going to lie tied into uh, the nodes or metropolises, which is how I see that. They also mentioned how nodes can also be. Now I'm not sure how I'm kind of wondering, and this is we're, we're not going to really get to find out about this until nodes, but I kind of wanted to like, put a pondering out there for either of you, but they've talked about how a node can potentially be like a uh, small encampment somewhere and that that encampment could turn into a metropolis. I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be anything like a sub node sort of system. That's I, I understand that like someone could see, well, a sub node could just be like a node that's, you know, only partially developed as opposed to fully developed. But I'm kind of wondering if there's any any areas that, because when we talk about like meaningful conflict and stuff like that, I'm wondering if there's going to be any areas that are going to be out and about, potentially that could be like out to outpost type um, places, for example, like a mage tower or something like that, where depending on either, I'm not really too sure, but I've kind of had this idea of like, what if there's like sub nodes, like you've got the nodes that fully developed to metropolises, and then you've got these other nodes that, might be somewhere that lie in between, let's say, Metropolis A and B, and somewhere kind of within that middle, kind of middle, like, boundary, where they both kind of go to their edges of their uh, domain, so to speak. What if what if around that area, there's this, uh, you know, sub-node that potentially can be like a mage tower or something like that? Could also be something that could be fought, fought over outside of Metropolises. I'm kind of wondering if that's a possibility. And I'm wondering if it could be uh, kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of how to go about putting this, um, if it could be tied outside of the way that a node develops, like with the metropolis, for example, where citizenship and stuff like that maybe is a part of it. I'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on that, if you have any. That's something I've been wondering about. It ties into kind of some of this topic. Um, I think there was a question in the last live stream, something related to this, and maybe this is kind of what you're thinking of, Sim. Mm -hmm. um, somebody asked if you could potentially enslave a node, um, meaning that there might be a parent node, a larger node that in some way enslaves a lesser node. And I, I kind of see that happening um, here. I mean, Steven did confirm that that's possible, that you could essentially enslave a smaller node, you know, as a larger node and then extend the zone of influence of that parent node much larger um, than say it, you know, it would have with just those nodes individually. So I kind of see that. Um, though they haven't really gone much into the castle mechanics and how that would work or their fortresses that they were talking about. But I kind of like the idea of almost having scattered throughout the world some opportunities for open PvP. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I like the idea of having like castle sieges. That's great at a macro level, mm-hmm. but I think it would be interesting just to have, like you said, like outposts or mage towers or something that maybe gives some sort of buff, right? Or some sort of relic, because um, they did talk about relic mm-hmm. gameplay a long time back. Right. Um, I think that would just be a way to keep, again, keep the world continuously reactive. Um, as opposed to just maybe having like isolated areas in a node or a castle, it might be interesting too, just to have those things that are almost like short bursted sieges versus maybe long and drawn out sieges so that people can say, okay, you know, Hey, we're, you know, I'm in a tavern with my guild mates and, you know, we want to go, take down a few outposts in a neighboring node because we're getting ready to kick up a siege and we want those buffs in our favor. And just, it just, again, it, it takes the, um, or it adds a strategic element to gameplay versus just kind of random, you know, activities again, just giving meaning to PVP, giving a, you know, true meaning to changing the world or affecting the world. Right. Any thoughts, Rebel? My thing is like so like let's say that you do have the mage towers and stuff like that. They can sorry, they contribute to a node's progression, right? But what happens when they go away? You know, or what happens when they get taken over? Um, do they do, do you do you kind of stop progressing towards that node or do you lose your citizenship in some ways, form or fashion to that node? Like how does that how would that work? Um, see, I think, I think what we're talking about though, is like something that kind of falls potentially like, yeah, it could be enslaved by a metropolis, but it actually, we're talking about something, maybe not like a mage tower could be, I don't know. could be like this neutral inn or something, or, uh, it could be a camp, uh, that potentially are bandits or something or mercenaries that in my mind, like maybe can, can work to some end based on the influence of that area. And it's kind of in that neutral place between metropolises or nodes. That's kind of what I'm going, what I've been kind of hinting at, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that it like ties directly into it or anything into it. Okay, so like a neutral zone. Yeah. Pute- yeah. Something kind of along the lines of like a neutral zone. Wow. Star Trek. Sorry. <laughs> so had, that, had so, a Star Trek so moment. Basically, I, I can understand what you're talking about. That way a node can expand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think that'd be great, actually. Yeah, and kind of conversely, like a way for a node to be weakened, right? Before yes. that, right. like again, anything that we can do. Cut off the supply lines. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, that's you know, it. Just, just as powerful as a caravan. The caravan system might be in terms right. of bringing supplies into the node. I kind of like the idea of I don't know. I mean, this this might be far fetched, but like a mage tower providing some sort of magical shield, right? And in order to siege the node, you need to take out the magical shield. Um, Mm -hmm. And it takes some effort from the people that own the node to defend that tower, because if they don't, they're even more vulnerable, and they might fall quicker to a siege than they would have if they had that intact. Mm -hmm. And have that be um, one of the ways, potentially, that attackers can circumvent and defenses um yeah I, I know. again anything to make it interesting and engaging i'm all for 
and and I like the idea of having various uh, points of interest in the world that can have an impact on gameplay and cause people just to have to think two or three steps ahead. And if not, the world then changes again. And it always, there's always some level of, you know, give and take between um, parties that are at odds. Yeah, I agree. Let's see. That's and, and even if they wanted to tie it into just the caravan system, it could still be something like it's a point that the caravan stops along the way. And by like having that be an active node in one one way or another, it could like potentially give some sort of like perk benefit to the caravan too, um, right? Something like that, which which I think is cool because it's like you know there could be potential conflict on these outskirts, uh, trying to you know fight over that prior to maybe you know taking your caravan out or something. It could be so many different things, but yeah, I, I like that idea because then it takes it and it's like it's not just you know A B or C sort of thing you don't have like just the basics it could get a little bit more um the 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 conditions could be a bit more intricate than just you know a and b plus c equals d or something right so talking on uh affiliations and allegiances one of the prime examples of an allegiance is a guild and in the past we've talked about guilds a lot on the do's and don'ts video Mostly, though, we were talking about the do's and don'ts, things we wanted to see, didn't want to see, things that we thought would be really, really great, useful. Um, in this context, let's talk about the so guilds by nature. Um, back in the day, were were started out because uh, individuals of usually specific trades would come together, and it would be a way to kind of form an alliance. So that, you know, monetarily they could all gain greater in, in as a whole. Um, so there's, they talked about the different types of affiliations, right? And the affiliate trees are, you know, party affiliations, raid affiliations, guild affiliations, alliance affiliations, um, citizenship affiliations. And I'm, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there supposed to be guilds separate from player guilds? that are going to be in the game because of the Kickstarter now. That's yeah. The social organizations, social organizations. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, we might see something similar to a thieves guild, um, maybe a mages guild. Um, I'm really not too sure. In fact, I think that those words have even been used in the past. I don't know if it was via live streams or if it was maybe via Kickstarter information. Uh, but I'm I'm curious how that's going to look and that's something that we can only really speculate at this time. But they said that there's the affiliation tree is still under development which determines which entities can participate in attacks against other entities within its hierarchy. So I'm curious how that's going to play out but guilds are a part of that. And we've seen guilds in in various different games have their own meaningful types of conflict or at least conflict um, so we're going to move on talking about guilds a little bit more now. Some of the big ways that guilds have conflict in Ashes will be through uh, declarations of war. So there will be guild wars. And that will uh, incorporate um, with the guild halls, which is basically like where we gather. I don't see the guild halls being a thing. Now we have fortresses and castles. So 
that's what I'd like to talk a little bit more on and potentially speculate on. Um, let me get to my stuff and things here. All right. So guild halls and fortresses and castles. Now, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but on the, not last live stream, last live stream was the new Alpha 1 environment. First look. Um, it was the month before. So not the last one, but the one before on the live stream. We had a uh, sneak peek, which was clearly done kind of right off the, right off the cuff there as we were watching. They just finished it. But we got to see some of the uh, what a, uh, a castle raid would look like. Minus all of the, and I believe you guys were both here for the episode when we talked about this, minus all of the you know, aesthetics inside of the key. It was missing a lot of things. It was super bare, bare, bare bones, basic and everything. But um, I do believe that was a castle, not a fortress. Now, I'm trying to get an idea. Now, guild fortresses are siegeable. So I thought it was a castle. When I'm looking over the wiki, they call guild fortresses siegeable halls, guild halls within Ashes of Creation. So the guild hall is within the guild fortress. And these are different from nodes and castles. So these aren't within uh, the nodes. So what I'm wondering is the significance between castles and fortresses, right? So if a, if a fortress is what's siegeable, and I'm looking at guild castles, I'm going to do a little bit of reading because I want to make sure that I'm clear on what the differences are here in, in the terminology for guild halls, guild fortresses, and guild castles. So guild castles, five guild castles exist in Ashes of Creation. Okay, so keep in mind, these aren't siegeable. At least that's what we understand so far. Leaders of guilds that occupy guild castles are referred to as kings and queens. Now, I'm thinking what we're talking about here are these are the castles that are probably within metropolises. Like the points of the leaders of the metropolis is what I think the guild castles are. And I'm thinking... It's a guild castle because someone that's leader of a guild is going to probably be the one running these. Leaders of guilds that occupy guild castles are referred to as kings and queens. Castles will initially be occupied by an NPC adversary. These are the primary antagonists in the storyline. Guilds have a period of time to level up in order to siege these castles. These castles will be very difficult to take from the NPCs. The structure of the castle nodes around NPC-run castles will not be present. So, any thoughts on that right now before we get into speculation? Or perhaps, do you want to dig into speculation? I know, I kind of want to dig into speculation. Um I, I think yeah, it would be interesting to see kind of how that's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like the, the siege mechanics for um, what is siegeable. Um, and I, I don't know whether that might be a way where they, whether it's in the node itself or in these castles where they might implement some of those relics that they've talked about in the past, but it'd be nice to see again, what the benefits are, um, for kind of having a guild hall or, you know, getting control over a fortress versus, um, you know, what it would take to attack and take that down. I mean, I'm expecting those types of things being smaller um, are going to 
not take as much effort. I'm not going to say the effort's going to be insignificant, but not take as, as much effort in terms of sieging a node and kind of play into what we've talked about before around um, maybe having a fortress um, might give some sort of bonus to defense in the world um, as opposed to not having it. And maybe that's a, I don't want to say a barrier to entry, but a possible route uh, an attacking force can go first before attacking a node. Um, so I'm thinking more, more of like along the, along the lines of, so when the, when the NPCs first kind of like rule the castle, I'm looking that, looking at that and it reminds me of like one of those instances in World of Warcraft where you go in, you play um, a, a scenario. That's what it is. You okay. play a scenario. Um, you go in, you play a scenario. Uh, throughout the scenario, they walk you through. You know, it's not going to be a walkthrough. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Ashes of Creation, you know, lets you do a lot more things than just a, a basic run through. Um, but I see it as in being able to explore the castle before you actually take ownership of it. So you have to take uh, the south quarter, and then you have to, you know, work your way through the middle and then spread out. And it's the kind of like you have to like have to take a tour of the castle. And this is my speculation: you have to take a tour of the castle before you can actually take ownership of it. Um, and I think that would be a really cool idea. I think it would be a great way to um, kind of see how how what you're taking, like what you're actually going to gain from this scenario or siege. Um, uh, as 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 your guild storms the castle, you know, um, and I would like to see what they do with that. I don't want to say story because it says storyline here. I would like it to actually be more of a siege than a story. Um, then that's just me. A lot of other people would probably like a story with it, but I'm sure in any scenario you're gonna have a story, of course. Um, but that's what I see. I think it's gonna be great. I think it's gonna be awesome. Um, it's gonna be probably. One of the highlights um, that I will have uh, with Virtue as we storm our first castle. I think that'd be awesome. See, I misspoke earlier. I think I said that they're in a metropolis, and they're they're not. So let's let's specify what they're talking about here. So guild castles have three. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, this is to me, Dale Scrolls Online, Cyrodiil. How you have keeps, and in, if you know anything about ESO, you have keeps, and each keep has a resource node essentially that is on its outskirts. You have the wood woodworking area, you've got the mine, and then you've got uh, what's the other one? Dang it! Um, oh, farm. That's it. So you got the farm supplies food to the individuals, right? Complements the NPCs' health, etc. Vitality. Um, you've got the wood, you know, has to do with the doors and you got the mine has to do with like the stone wall, stuff like that. Um, kind of makes sense on how that works. They said here is that, um, I lost my place. Dang it. There's so many different bullet points here where we're talking about the castle nodes. It okay. sounds like you just described a Rathi Basin. Yeah. Also. Yeah. A Rathi Basin. Yeah. That, that makes sense too. How you've got those like resource nodes along the way as you're working up to the bosses, the end bosses in the area. Um, so we're going to, I'm just going to kind of go down the list. Now I'm not going to do, okay. Benefits of guild castles, reasons you might want one. 
All right, guild castles exert influence over nodes within their domain, including levying taxes for the purposes of defense, additional taxes, uh, additional to taxes already imposed by node governments, activating events and abilities that progress node citizens, unlocking additional types of buildings in nodes. Now, most benefits and features of guild of a guild castle will be housed solely to the members of the guild that controls it. Um, there are levelers and dials that are present to both the castle owners as well as elected officials of nodes that during their administration, they have the ability to impact and influence the region around them. So it seems to me that you could run a metropolis and you could also someone else who's running a castle. And so I'm thinking my thoughts right now are, so there may be, maybe this is that outskirts sort of thinking we talked about where you have a, a, a castle that's kind of right by this node. And since we know there's supposed to be five node types, it makes sense why there would be five ca castles. Um, so castle nodes exist outside of the node system. They are independent of anything that's happening outside of in the world um, with other nodes shutting off certain nodes from progressing. So this could really impact uh, progression. I can see this definitely becoming a thing where you've got... This is also something that kind of I wonder if this could be a, a concern kind of initially as we are in Vera, we're kind of going about leveling the nodes and stuff. I'm wondering how castles, especially early on in the very beginning are going to impact a nodes development now too, or the, just the implementation of, of uh, the mechanics that the kind of surround the beginning phases of a node. Cause I can see someone going and potentially taking a castle um, possibly before a metropolis is even maybe completely developed. And I'm I mean, it's like, you mean like as a way to lock out that node from becoming a metropolis? I'm wondering, yeah. I'm kind of wondering if it could potentially be done that way. I mean, I'd what like to see... Oh, go ahead, Revel. Do you mean like take, can, Do you mean like in a PvP situation where it's taken from you? Or do you mm -hmm. mean as, it, as it's being developed by NPCs? Uh, I think as it's being developed. So castle nodes cannot exceed stage three, which is a village stage. Castle nodes are always a military node type. Each of the dedicated castle nodes is barren at the start of the castle ownership period. The guild must develop those nodes to enhance the defenses of the castle. I'm going to keep going down here just so we got this all in our heads. Castle nodes are, are leveled through questing by the owning guilds or alliance guilds. Leveling castle nodes is a hastened process compared to regular nodes. See what I'm saying? Using caravans to move supplies during the weeks before a castle siege. Completing these quests unlocks services and functions that are useful to the occupying guild and its allies, as well as boosting the defenses the castle has. Rival guilds will want to destroy supply caravans to prevent them from leveling up the castle and its dedicated nodes. If they fail to level up, those nodes or complete those quests within the three prior weeks before the declaration period, uh, declaration week, then the castle will be dis at a disadvantage. Being a member of an occupying guild automatically makes you a garrison of the castle nodes and castle itself. Interesting. Only members of the occupying guild are citizens of these nodes. These citizen, the citizenship is different from the, to the normal node citizenship uh, castle nodes don't operate like normal nodes so these aren't 
tied to typical nodes or metropolises. They're independent and yet impact the nodes around them is what I'm getting. Yeah, so, so it's almost like I guess they're a node unto themselves. Hmm, that's interesting. Run by the individuals who, you know, go in and complete the scenario or, you know, take out the NPCs, etc. So, yeah. It's just I mean, kind of interesting. I think what would be interesting, too, is that if there is like these nodes out in the world that it takes some effort just to capture them to begin with, it's not just like, you know, you sit there and it captures like, you know, PVP right. node capture. Right. I, I would like it to be like, start out with almost like a, I don't want to say a neutral force, but a force in there that whoever tries to attack it, you know, it's an NPC that you have to defeat and then you can take over the node and then create your own NPCs potentially that somebody needs to defeat to take over the castle node. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what that reminds me of was, is like kind of, I got that wow PVP thing when Revel mentioned it. And then I also think ESO, but yeah, like different than just flipping it by your presence or something. Um, right. But it says, you know, gas guild castles are, have three adjacent nodes in pro close proximity, which they will have dominion over. Um, garrisons. I'm thinking those are going to be the garrisons. So I'm kind of wondering. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just kind of going into a crazy speculation period in my brain right now. Interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering. Independently from a metropolis developing since we know this is going to be tied into trade and we know that this is going to be tied into some of that meaningful, meaningful conflict. I'm also wondering how that's going to potentially implement or impact the development of it, of metropolis early on. And I'm thinking primarily like from day one, when we all step in through the gates, I'm wondering what the checks and balances are going to look like on ensuring that doesn't become uh, a powerhouse too early. Perhaps it could just be that the NPCs are super difficult early. Yeah, and it takes some level of gearing them to even take them. That's why I'm thinking. It's kind of what I'm maybe thinking too. Hmm. So good. Good. <laughs> right. Made the tougher the better. So there's an attrition mechanic that affects experience and influence to curb a single race from dominating the entire world. There is an attrition that, and that attrition on experience and influence is heightened based on the performance of the race in the world. So if all nodes are orc nodes, then their attrition rate is very high to compete with the cultural establishment of new nodes because they have more influence in the world and a popular opinion. We're kind of getting into the racial part here again. And a popular opinion is against them in their outlying uh, regions that they do not have influence in. So castle sieges. Man, we, we've got royal stables. So we got guild housing. Housing's a completely different one. Based on our time, I'm thinking we're going to talk about castle sieges. And, I, and then kind of I'm looking at guild fortresses and halls. So we're going to talk about the sieges first, okay? 
I think we might have in some detail discussed this briefly before when we talked about trade wars a little bit and stuff like that. So, guilds participate in castle sieges in an effort to capture and occupy one of the five guild castles and ashes of creation. Sieges occurred once a month. So, this is that kind of declaration of war period that I think Stevens talked about. Um, guild that captures a castle will own that castle for a month before it is sieged again. <clears throat> in the first three weeks that a guild occupies a castle, they will have to level up each of their castle nodes to village, uh, to village stage through questing. The fourth week is the declaration week, where other guilds have the opportunity to lay down their declaration flag or to sign up as a defender of the castle. Depending on how well the guild defends the castle nodes results in better defenses for the castle. Different siege weaponry will grant the attackers the ability to destroy walls, doors, and sections of the castle in order to gain access to the inner keep area. Now, this to me is like, this is like Elder Scrolls Online sieging. Um, different siege weaponry being ballistas, catapults, uh, trebuchets, things like that. Um, he said there'll be different... Uh, Benefits to attracting people, even if they're not in your guild or alliance, kind of a feudal-like system where you can attract other players who are just independent of this whole pop politic or process. They will have things to do there, benefits to receive. There will be a reciprocal relationship between who can you, who you can attract, what they do for you, and how that benefits you and them. That I find extremely interesting. Any speculation or ideas about that? I have some of my own, but I'd like to kind of hear what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I again, anything the team can do to make the um, the whole process uh, relevant, and I think incentivize people to do things in the world, I, I I love. I mean, again, they need to, in some sense, create opportunities. Um, for the players, I mean, ultimately, I don't want them to necessarily, like, step in and control, mm -hmm. you know, or at least give everyone a linear path. Um, but I want them to, you know, really amp up the benefits um, in such a way where people want to go out and do these activities. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to, you know, be very fun. Right, you'll just kind of level your node, and the world will remain static. So, um, I like the idea of having a prep time, having a turnover that happens once a month, so it's long enough where it has an impact on the world, but not so long that you know people are like, "Oh, great, I've got to wait another six months to do a castle siege." So, I, I like that. It seems balanced, at least for the time being, until we you know get into testing. Um, you know, that a month uh, is, is you know, the, the time it takes in order to get prepared and for that particular castle to have a potential for being taken over and changing hands. Um, I mean, what I would like to see, too, is if for whatever reason a guild gets control of a fortress or castle and they hold it for a certain period of time, Maybe that spawns an event too that people need to potentially need to band together on, or um, it destroys the castle outright and gives an opportunity for another group or guild to do it. Because I do like the idea of nothing 
being permanent in the world in the sense of the, you know, how the world itself gets made up. Um, whether that be a node that's in power or a set of nodes that's in power, what dungeons are available, what raids are available. I want that to be something where, you know, at minimum, you know, every month there's something new to discover, or it's not necessarily the same thing that you um, are having to do and it makes it a grind. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts, Rubble? Well, here's my thing on the um, the castle sieges. I think it's going to be awesome, but I also think they're going to be they're going to give you an opportunity to kind of do kind of do sneaky things, and I'm really excited about that. What I mean by that is, let's say you have a guild that declares war on you. They or not, maybe a couple of guilds, a couple of alliances come together and they, they declare a siege on your castle. They declare, uh, make the declaration and you have a month for preparation. To me, that just gives me the opportunity to, you can do so many things with that. So they're st standing out there. I wouldn't assume they're just standing there, but they're building up camps. They're getting ready for a siege. But that gives you an opportunity to make to maybe go off to a neighboring, um, to expand your ranks, like go off to a neighboring node and extend a hand or do some favors for for people. Or you could actually, <laughs> you could actually maybe potentially um, make it look like those people sieging us might siege them next, and you go out and you uh, you. you you set up um, some some type of uh, uh, some type of decoy attack, and you blame it on them. You're there to <laughs> you're there for the rescue. I could just see so many like scenarios like that that would be really interesting and fun to uh, to kind of be just just a part of the whole guild um, siege system, where it's more than just the the guilds participating. It's more than just alliances. It's also you. Uh, it's also having strategy of warfare, and that's what I really enjoy about the the, the idea of how the siege castle or the castle sieges are going to go. So I wanted to get your guys' ideas first, and the reason I'm sitting here kind of cheesing a little bit is my thoughts were politics. Politics. These are going to be the periods where you can make your campaigns so if you've got like, for example, this big Zerg guild and you've declared war on them, you can go and you can bolster your allies. You can go and you can and you can start to talk. And this is why alliances and allegiance is so important, I think, in Ashes, because I and I'm this is speculation. I don't know anything. OK, in this regard, I don't. Right. But here's my ideas is I think. This is how we're going to keep the whole idea of the castle sieges and the castle system and who, who runs the show. I think this is how we're going to have the meaningful conflict that's going to not only impact. I think that the castle sieges are a almost like a parallel uh, level significance of conflict to a metropolis in that this has to do with that the individuals who are heads of the community who run the show. Let's say we've got the Zerg Guild that went through and took it, and they made some bad choices that impacted the peasants 
or whatever, right? And it impacted these other people who maybe maybe they were a bunch of other guilds and they weren't ambitious enough. Like they just got on there, maybe the casual players, you know, but something that this bigger guild did impacted them in a negative way. Well, if you're, if you recognize that impact because you're paying attention to the communities and you're interacting with them and maybe you've got alliances with them, right? And maybe you're not even that big of a guild yourself, right? But maybe this, this big raffle stomp guild went in there took it, kind of made some poor decisions that impacted the the other people, the people that maybe aren't ambitious to go after a guild uh, and take it over, guild castle and take it over and to run it and everything. And maybe that, that guild made some bad choices. This is your period to be like, now's our time, friends. Now's our time. The Lightbringers have come and we're going to take out, you know, Dweedles, the castle of Dweedleship. And here we go. And we, we start to form our alliances. And this is where maybe we can bolster enough inspiration in others in their own smaller communities and their own, you know, farming communities, trade communities, uh, religious communities. And we could say, friends, this is our time. Those tyrants, their time has come. Are you with us friends? And that might be the way. And maybe a guild, the light bringers of virtue will storm and siege this castle and take those tyrants out with your help. I'm more of a lightning bringer, but... <laughs> I mean, I think what would be cool, too, is I, I even mentioned something like this before, but it's like you have a bunch of people that band together to yeah. take over a tyrant, mm -hmm. and then at that last moment when they're seizing power, <laughs> somebody flips it and basically yeah. backstabs everyone, right. you know, etc., Politics. I mean, th those are the kind of stories that make a server, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love this, and I love the time that it will require to invest in. Because as you said, right, it gives people a real opportunity mm -hmm. to build communities and potentially create, um, you know, just, I don't know. I don't want to say drama because that's not, I mean, there's a negative connotation to that, but to right. create some sort of kind of meaningful back and forth where you start understanding over and above the people in the backstory of Vera, who the real true heroes and villains are in your world, mm -hmm. right? Because at the yeah. end of the day, people are thinking, okay, well, you know, we have PVP, blah, blah, blah. We have, you know, corruption. Those guys are the bad guys. Those guys are the villains. I I submit no. Those those guys are going to be a small fraction of the population. The real villains are going to be those that play the game to their advantage and end up, you know, with that whole, you know, screw your neighbor mentality. So yeah. find a way to get in there, manipulate people, understand how the game is played and make it work in their favor. It's those mm -hmm. people working behind the scenes that you never think are going to turn on you that are going to turn on you. And in a way, at the same time, you're trying to create a community creates that level of mistrust where you're like, do I really like, you know, know this guy well enough to trust him defending my caravan? Or is he going to secretly leak this deep information to his alliance and have them take it over and, you know, you know, keel over my node? Yes. Yes. I love it. I freaking love it. That's why I said dirty politicians and the righteous. I'm telling you, man, 
I love it. I freaking love it. I'll let you know, Virtue. We are the lightning bringers, the light bringers. We bring truth and honor, friends. <laughs> that should be a slogan, Virtue. Yeah. We bring it. We bring it. It doesn't you know? matter what it is. <laughs> and and I love BCG. He's been on he's been on the Simcast, right? But he's already he's already we know this, Daedalus. As a content creator, he he's a friend. In in the game of Vera, I have a feeling he will be a nemesis. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the Lord of Salt must fall, and all his salt teams <laughs> with him. <laughs> Shout out to BCG. Yeah, in case you haven't seen that episode, go back a few. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so we understand some of the ideas of meaningful conflict, and I agree. It's not the same as drama. It's politics, and it's playing the game. And there will be the ones that will be dark and ominous as forces. And this is where I also see that we talked about how each server is going to be different. This is your alternate reality. You are the alternate reality for the server. It's not just the NPCs and this and how the story itself evolves. It's how you as players choose to interact, how the conflict unfolds, and how that evolution in each server is going to change and be different. So I find that fascinating, and I love it. And so I'm extremely excited to see how this system plays out um so we talked about the guild castles and sieges we've gotten the idea about that let's talk we're gonna back it up a little bit let's bring it a little bit more to home right let's bring it back to back to home here so we got guild fortresses fortresses right this is a step down from our castles right guild fortresses are siegeable guild halls within ashes of creation these are different from nodes and castles. The term guild housing reverts to guild buildings and not guild-owned player housing, which is a guild hall, right? I think a fortress is a guild hall, but I feel like it's, it must be at like a middle ground between a castle, whereas it maybe isn't um, isn't have any kind of NPC occupancy. Um, so we're going to go and look at, at, uh, at guild fortresses. And guild halls. So guild halls serve as a focal point for a guild. This is a has a host of offering for different customized customization options. We've already seen some of the um, I want to say is it like Kickstarter? I think the summer backer thing also had uh, the guild hall concept right. There have been some different guild hall appearances that have come out. So guild hall only houses a single guild. There's not multiple. Guild halls are the ultimate expression of a guild's power. In Ashes, these structures will serve as focal points for a guild, offering any guild to construct them a whole host of benefits as well as customization options. I love the fact that you don't just go in and flip this or occupy it or pay for it. I love that you build this. Like to me, I find that I find that to be a beautiful thing because here all the work that we have put into our community all that we have we have grinded we have farmed we've done all lead up to us constructing this and i find that to be an amazing thing some of the benefits guilds guild halls unlock actions a guild can perform within a node allows you to participate in a share, shareholder system which means um and correct me if i'm wrong about any part of this but what that means is is if us as a guild run a metropolis we can unlock an auction house system that we can turn on. And I believe that it's tied to that mechanic of nodes, if I'm not mistaken. Anybody? 
That's the way I've read that. Yeah, I believe so as well. Um, okay, so five guild castles exist, and we talked about those already. Now, here's where it gets muddy on the wiki, is that there's not a lot about fortresses, but we're seeing that guild halls are the ultimate expression. These are going to be in a node, and then we know that guild castles exist, and they're NPC-owned, sort of driven, before they're conquered, raided, uh, or explored, and, and kind of taken over. What's the guild fortress? Is yeah, that is that just where we put our guild hall and we build? Is this you know what I mean? Is it because guild halls are in a metropolis, right? So yeah, I would think so. And they're separate than a castle. So I've seen talk of guild fortress, and we've talked about guild halls. We've talked about castles. Can someone tell me what a fortress is, please? Can we someone help explain to me what that is? And I know you guys probably are drawing a blank as much as me because I don't I'm trying to understand how this fits in because all I've got is guild halls and I've got castles guild. But it says guild fortresses are siegeable guild halls within ashes. So are we calling our guild halls our guild fortresses? Is I'm fortress hoping. another term for our guild hall that we built? I'm hoping and it, that, that, that you can have more than just one guild hall in a location. Like, I'm hoping that a mage will provide some sort of a teleporter um, in order for us to maybe have a fortress in a neighboring node, or it could be in an ambassadory uh, station. I, I don't uh, like, like an embassy or something. Like an embassy. It could be a guild embassy in a different in a neighboring node, or maybe off to, you know, just a place to go explore. That you may consider yourself to be a safe zone um, until obviously uh, you're discovered and somebody tries to come siege your 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 area. Um, but I'm sure that would come with its own sort of declaration, mm. um, and that would be a cool little spin on. Uh, on maybe exploring the world, uh, you know, you could go from one point. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be uh, naval areas, so you could you know go from one side of the map to the other. You may need a, a, a reason or a place to lay your head, um, especially in a no, in a node that you don't own or you're a part of a citizen. Uh, so that could be a reason for a fortress too. Uh, that's just kind of my, like my speculation on that. See, that would make sense to me. That would make sense to me. Like, my, I could see like maybe we've got guild halls, but maybe like our guild halls in other nodes, other metropolises, or something like that. Maybe those guild halls are fortresses that could be sieged by the other. Yeah, that would make sense. That would that would actually make sense. Like, because like you know you see it happen all the time, embassies, right, mm -hmm. being attacked and stuff in yeah. our world. So that would make some sense to me. You have any ideas, Zoday? I'm looking through some information here on the wiki, too, to try to see if I can find something more specific. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about the teleport thing because I know they wanted to right. limit that. Um, that might be maybe a function of a scientific node um, if it gets, you know, of a certain level and maybe guild halls have access to that. I could totally see that. But I agree, there's got to be, um, I think, again a good incentive 
to invest in a guild hall. Um, you know, one of the things that I found um, really cool, but unfortunately was somewhat underutilized, mm -hmm. at least, you know, from my play perspective in Age of Conan, mm -hmm. was the ability to build a guild city. Um, and they kind of did something um, where it was essentially was an instanced area. You could create this huge city um, and you could have all different services in it and, you know, et cetera. And on paper, it was a really cool mechanic. In practice, it just made, um, made it very difficult for people to really care about investing their time in it. And I remember me um, and one of my buddies who is the guild leader of our, our guild in um, Ashes, or pardon me, in Age of Conan, uh, it was between me, him, and maybe two other guys, we single-handedly built our guild city, right? Mm -hmm. And it took forever. And then nobody really used it <laughs> other than oh. us. So yeah. so I would say, um, you know, from my perspective, I think as long as they can give people a true incentive um, to, you know, build these guild halls, maintain these guild halls, I think it'll be great. Um, I do like the idea of, having them be somewhat temporary um, because, you know, they can be sieged, et cetera. So again, it gives you incentive to invest time to be there to defend it, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of speculation on what I think they might offer in terms of benefits, I think to me, it's all going to come down to the services they offer, mm -hmm. um, potentially buffs similar to say like a tavern might offer certain buffs on a, you know, freehold, I think there might be different sets of buffs or maybe access to guild resources, um, you know, at some level to potentially, you know, uh, kick off a caravan um, in your area to say, okay, look, our node needs this resource. Mm -hmm. You know, we spent some time farming it. We can, uh, we want to make sure the node is strong. So we're going to send over some resources and maybe initiate a caravan from our guild hall to another node. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That would make some, that would be pretty cool. It makes sense Real too. Quick, I did have another kind of explanation. Okay. I do, if like, let's say we're, we get a, let's say the fortress is the building blocks for the step before the guild castle. That could be, that could also be it too. So you build a fortress first and then it, you build around it and it, Created into a castle layer as the node levels up, or <laughs> mm -hmm. metropolis maybe. That was one of the things I was looking at that I was about to speculate too. Was because the if a castle has these underlying, you know, sub nodes of its own, right? Then it would make sense. Like because we I talked about how like it sounded like those were almost like resources to the the keep itself to the castle itself. I'm wondering if that's what a fortress is. But then I'm also wondering like if there's other things that are factors as well, I don't know, but that would make sense. So I'm looking and I was looking through here and I see something that was posted by Steven, <coughs> excuse me on 423, 2017. So he's talking about when castles are captured by a guild, um, have three nodes that are tired, blah, 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 tied to the castle that are exist in close proximity to the castle itself. Only the guild's members can participate in the development of those three nodes. So these are the three nodes we're talking about that are tied to a castle. Okay. These three nodes, they must be developed 
those nodes, uh, those three nodes must be developed to enhance the defenses of the castle. Sieges for a castle are once every month. This is backing up and talking more about castles a bit, but I felt like it was very relevant. Sieges for castles can be done once a month, and during the three weeks leading up to the castle siege week, each node will auto-experience a siege, where attackers can try to destroy what the guild has built in order to weaken the defenses for the castle when its siege comes later in the month. Being a member of the guild will automatically make you a garrison of the castle nodes and castle itself. These nodes next to the castle cannot exceed node stage four and are always military type nodes. I feel like what I'm hearing is fortresses are the nodes of a castle and are a way of expressing the guild. Whereas maybe the castle itself doesn't change in appearance, right? Maybe you just get banners that drop down, right? Like this is ours now. Virtue banners drop, you know, griffins on it and all this stuff. But then maybe those fortresses that surround it that can potentially be siege in those three weeks, like going up there. So I feel like I'm seeing there's a tier system here. That would make sense to me. That would make sense on what a fortress is. These are built by the guilds. These help to ensure that the castle maintains. It also potentially could mean that we go and take those from or take those down from NPCs possibly as we're taking the castle. And if not, then possibly those are established after we've taken the castle and became the, uh, the kings and queens of it. And then maybe the fortresses are then our little outposts or subnodes to the castle that we run. Like so far in my mind, that's what, that's where I'm making the most sense of this. Because yeah, somehow there's some sort of dynamic between the fortress and the castle. Mm-hmm. And it, and potentially, like, you might have different guilds kind of feeding into these different fortresses to help support a node. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. I, I like that idea. Um, I don't like the idea of maybe one guild being able to take over multiple fortresses. I right. like that, to me, there's a check and balance there. Um, and, and ultimately then, you know, the, the castle gets influenced by the different dukes of the land, right? There you go. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. That would make sense too, because when you look at the political dynamic, again, speculation before we get round, we get done rounding things up here, but I look at it from that, that speculative stance, right? We talked about the politics being such a factor. This also, like you said, can change over time. You can have those individuals, and it makes sense that these become your, um, oh, what's it called? Your, uh, oh my gosh, I'm thinking in a feudal system. Oh, wow. Dang it. That's killing me. That's going to drive me nuts. Uh, your vassals? Thank you, vassals. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Your vassals. These are your vassals. Is how I think, and I think of. Do you ever, did any of you ever play a game called Gemfire? I haven't. God, this is old school game. Anyway, this is back like original Nintendo. I think it could have been Super Nintendo. It's an interesting game. You should check it out. It has a lot to do with the dynamics that we're talking about here. <laughs> but yeah, your vassals. Like so, then the people, these fortresses. So if fortresses are siegeable, and their guild halls that are potentially maybe even constructed. And these are separate from your guild halls, maybe inside of a metropolis or whatever. That that makes some sense to me. 
that maybe these are like the, uh, you know, some kind of like intermediary kind of system that has to do with the, the castles and alliances and how they function and who's contributed. Like, yeah, that that's pretty cool. Cause if you got somebody who's like a tyrant that's running that show and they've got their little sub tyrants or other baddies that are kind of running around and terrorizing their, their, uh, saltine, you know, fortresses or whatever. Um, then the Lord of Saw gets taken down, the saltines get taken down and, uh, the light, the light wielders and store bringers come in and such. Anyway, <laughs> little fun references to make some sense of it all. Um, anyway, we are coming up on our time here. This has been a great, great episode. It's been a lot of fun to talk about. It's helped me make a little bit more sense of the ideas and the constructs of guild halls, keeps, um, castles, fortresses, all of those types of, uh, terminology and kind of maybe where they go if you have any ideas and you'd like to kind of contribute feel free to leave some comments down below i'd like to hear some more about it i think that i've taken under advisement recently and i think the simcast is going to go to a pure podcast format too soon meaning that it's going to be on other places so it could be listened to as opposed to just being watched on youtube um so look for that coming up soon trademark um and before we get done today, gentlemen, thanks so much for your time and making time to be here today. It's been a great episode of the Simcast uh, talking about Allegiance. Would you like to go around Robin Daedalus and Revel, let people know where you reign, where is your domain, and where they can find you? Uh, sure, you can find me on the web at ashenherald.com. I'm on YouTube under The Ashen Herald or on Twitter at, at The Ashen Herald. I'm Revel Strike, and you can... Uh find me at twitch.tv slash rebel strike you can also find me on twitter um at rebel strike uh, capital r capital s and ladies and gentlemen i've been your host Morg. thanks for hanging out on the simcast until next week i'll catch you on stream